Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke chapter 23. Welcome to Kenyabaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Featuring devotional segments by those who support the teaching of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, The Wells, along with other items, including music. I'm Tom Barthel, glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This is episode number 152. We'll begin with a devotion shared by Martin Luther College President Mark Zarling. The Table and the bread of the presence. Exodus chapter 25, verse 23 and 30. The Lord said to Moses, Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. John chapter 6 verse 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It was an astounding miracle right before the Passover feast. Thousands had come to Jesus on the hillside. Jesus took the lunch of a boy and gave thanks Five loaves fed 5,000, not counting women and children. The next day, crowds went out to search for Jesus. They found him on the other side of the lake. They pursued him because they had full stomachs and wanted the gravy train to continue. Christ admonished them, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. The crowds wanted miracles. They wondered if Jesus could one-up Moses and the menu of manna from heaven. In response, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Sadly, grumbling greeted Christ's invitation. Hard hearts could not hear the grace offered. Jesus used the context of miraculous meals to present himself as the only food that nourishes a soul with the gift of eternal life. Consider the context in John chapter 6. Crowds fed by the loaves of a boy. A miracle. Desert wanderers sustained by manna. A miracle. Sinners alive forever, sustained by the word incarnate. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The miracle of grace, of forgiveness, of eternal life, provided by a gracious God. This same gracious God used bread to reveal the same gracious truth in the Old Testament. Only God sustains life, both physical and eternal. In the tabernacle, there was a table of acacia wood overlaid with gold. 
it was placed in the holy place. On it was the bread of the presence, sometimes called the showbread. There were twelve loaves, one for each tribe, arranged on the table. Every Sabbath, new loaves were made, while the old loaves were consumed by the priests. Week after week, month after month, decade after decade, a silent testimony was visible on the table of showbread. The Savior God provides for his people. Over and over, he has proven his power to miraculously provide for the physical needs and nourishment of his people. The scripture is replete with such testimony. Do not doubt scripture's promise that the word of God creates and sustains our faith life. But beware. The desert wanderers of old quickly tired of the manna and God's faithful daily providence. Does that ennui endanger our soul? If we feel surfeited with scripture, Satan tempts us to such sinful contempt. Lord, for the sake of your Son's blood, cleanse our souls. Lord, instill in us a daily desire for quiet time in the scriptures so that we are fed richly with Jesus, the bread of life. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, and that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This next song is shared by Chris Dreisbach. What were you thinking? What were you thinking as your trust was betrayed? They're tying my hands while my friends run away. Armies of angels would have answered your call, and you didn't struggle at all. What were you thinking when they spit in your face? I'll get even with them and the whole human race. They crowned you with thorns, though you were more than a king. And you didn't say anything. What were you thinking? A person could ask Were you out of your mind to agree? What were you thinking To stand in between An angry father and me? What were you thinking As you hung on the tree? A curse on them all for laughing at me Of all of these things your thoughts were perfectly free And you purchased heaven for me What were you thinking a person? 
person could ask Were you out of your mind to agree? What were you thinking to stand in between? An angry father and me What were you thinking as you hung on the tree? A curse on them all for laughing at me When armies of angels would have answered your call You didn't struggle at all You said heaven for us all God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. Once again, we're in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 1, verse 4. He will lay his hand on the head of the animal to be burned as an offering, and it will be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Picture in your mind the um, outline of the tabernacle tent complex. Uh, There was a big rectangle. You entered on the east, and as you went in, uh, there were curtains that keeping the uh, the, the outside uh, from seeing everything that was going on inside. Right in front of you would have been uh, the big bronze altar in, in just about the middle of the what I'll call the temple complex. To your left was uh, uh, over by the side somewhere. We don't know exactly where this was. There was kind of an ash pit where they would take the ashes from the altar and discard of them, but still within the temple complex. Um, then a little bit to the side of the altar, the big bronze altar, was a big water reservoir that the Bible calls the sea. And then beyond that is what we usually think of in the tabernacle, which is the tent of meeting, the holy place. And then behind it, uh, curtained off, the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And inside of that was the Ark of the Covenant. The person making the sacrifice entered the enclosure, the tabernacle from the east, with his back to the sunrise or facing the sunset, depending on the time of day. And taking the animal past the ash pit, he would lead the creature to the north side of the altar to his right and lay his hand on the animal's head. Now, there's nothing said here of confessing sin. However, it would have been normal for the worshiper to confess sin in general and also to pray for what the offering was for. Thanksgiving or a good harvest or maybe a petition for a child or or someone's health or whatever it might be. Notice that the verse ends with the assurance that the sacrifice was to make atonement, which means to make one again, to fix one's relationship with God. There are many things in each sacrifice which are similar to the other sacrifices, but this meant that the person or group, married couple, tribe, nation, whatever, making the offering would be forgiven their sins, accepted by God and purified by God. Now, to be forgiven means that the penalty for sin is paid for in full, and God will remember their sins no more, as Jeremiah says. 
To be accepted by God means to be welcomed into God's covenant, into God's family, and to be welcome at the Lord's table. Isaiah 56, 7 says, Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. To be purified means that what we say and do is acceptable to God and that we are brought through a common faith into the fellowship of all believers. Zephaniah the prophet said, I will purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve them shoulder to shoulder. Now at this point, with his hands still on the head of the bull, the worshiper might also have recited or chanted a psalm. There are several psalms that mention the burnt offering. Uh, May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings, Selah, Psalm 20, verse 3. Or, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill my vows to you, Psalm 66, 13. And to this, the priest, waiting to perform his part of the sacrifice, might respond on behalf of God, saying, Sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. That's Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15. The laying on of hands transferred the sins of the worshipers to the animal to be offered. Remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's Hebrews 9, 22. The sacrifice of the bull was a shadow of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. In the same way, what, uh, uh, the, 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 um, in the same way that rather that the death of the perfect animal brought forgiveness, acceptance, and purity to the worshiper, so also in a much greater way, for also for all eternity, the death of Christ, our perfect Redeemer, brought forgiveness, acceptance, and purity to all mankind. We who worship make that forgiveness our own through faith. We are welcomed by God through Jesus' blood. We are accepted. We are pure. We are His. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. What do you do when you have a situation and something breaks? I've known a number of people who are self-taught repairmen. Maybe you know someone like that. While some of us can be totally helpless when our heat pump or furnace breaks, the self-taught repairman knows what to do. If there's a leaking faucet, the self-taught repairman doesn't call a plumber. He heads to the plumbing store and tackles the job himself. If you know someone like this, you probably call them first when your car breaks down. They'll know what's up. And if the self-taught repair guy fails, only then you call the expert. But there's one job which none of us could ever tackle. There is, in fact, no one who is able. Not even any experts. Isaiah writes about such a situation in chapter 59. The situation presented in Isaiah 59 is bleak. We don't have a broken car or a leaking faucet. We have a heart which is clogged and ruined with the blackness of our sin. It's a bleak picture when you read about the spiritual blindness of everyone and the evil which flows out of the human heart. Well, couldn't God help fix it? He's certainly able to restore us. We are his creation. But when we cry out to him, why should he listen? When he looks at mankind, he sees the selfish thoughts which flow from the heart. He sees the self-absorbed mind which fails to love our neighbor. Our guilt stains us and causes us to be a horrible sight and stench. Your guilt has separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden God's face from you so that he does not hear. When we try to call on him to restore us from the stench of death and sin back to holiness and life, 
He turns away in disgust from us and our sins. It's the dirtiest job imaginable, and we can offer him nothing in payment. It's a horrible thought to have need, and have no one who is able to help. Imagine having a house on fire with no fire department to call. Imagine your car breaking down on the side of a deserted road thousands of miles from help, with no phone signal to call for aid. Our spiritual situation is even worse. God, the only one who can rescue us from sin and death, is separated from us. He does not listen to sinners. That's a real problem for this world. The best of us should realize just how far we are in over our head when it comes to our eternal fate. Even the self-taught repair guy knows when he's in over his head. Even the most moral or spiritual person who's ever lived must recognize they are in over their head. We are by nature outside of God's kingdom, outside of his goodwill, facing the trouble of sin, the curse of death and hell. We all need God. We need the one man who can fix our fate. But God is not unaware of our helpless situation. The Lord looked and saw something evil. There was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one who could intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him. Fully aware of our helpless need, God stepped into history. Fully aware that we could not do anything, his own arm worked out the plan of salvation. Jesus, the Son of God, came as the only man who could restore us. This was prophesied and promised. A Redeemer will come. To restore us, he faced our fate. On the cross, the Son of God, Jesus, bore all the ugly guilt of our sin. As a consequence, the Father turned away from him. Jesus called out, Why have you forsaken me? He knew the separation was because he bore our sins. He faced the curse, the death, and the punishment of hell for our sins. And he did more than the expert repairman. He took everything that was wrong with us away and gave us his own holiness. Your righteousness is ruined. Take mine. And he doesn't just fix the problem of death and hell. He has promised new bodies and eternal life in his kingdom. And he did it despite the fact we could never repay him. In fact, he says he does it all as a free gift for all. Only God could intervene. And so God did. The separation has ended. At his death, the, the dividing curtain in the temple tore in two. His face is no longer hidden. And the carpenter, who displayed his arm on the cross, displayed the one thing that we needed from our God. Intervention to save. From Isaiah chapter 59. The Lord's arm is not too short to save, and his ear too deaf to hear. No, it is your guilt that has separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden God's face from you, so that he does not hear. The Lord looked and saw something evil. There was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one who could intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him. A Redeemer will come for Zion, and those in Jacob who turn from rebellion. This is the Declaration of the Lord. We'll close with a song by Chris Dreisbach. My song is Love Unknown. 
this song is love unknown my savior's love to me love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be oh who am i that for my sake my lord should take frail flesh and die came from heaven's throne salvation to bestow but they disowned him few the longed for Christ would know this is my friend my friend indeed who at my need his life did spend branches pave his way and his sweet praises sing resounding all the day hosannas to the king then crucified is all their breath and for his death they thirst and cry my Lord done to cause this rage and spite he made the lame to run and gave the blind their sight what injuries yet they are wise the Lord most high so cruelly died shouts they rave lead my dear lord away a murderer they save the prince of life they slay yet willingly he bears the shame and by his name his foes are free You have been listening to Kanenbaum Podcast, episode number 152, first shared in April of 2020. For more like this, visit KanenbaumPodcast.com. We'd like to thank President Mark Zarling for allowing us to share his devotion. You can find more about Martin Luther College by visiting mlc-wels.edu. That's mlc-wells.edu. Martin Luther College is the worker training college of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod for training for ministry. We encourage you to find a Wells ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us. And remember his promised rest.
have mercy on